Let's open our Bibles to the book of John, Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 39. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, there is. I'll read this one. Come on up, Lenny. Come on up. I'm going to embarrass her now. I forget about special music when we haven't had it. Come on up and sit in my seat for the moment so that you'll be ready to go. <laughs> no, we know so. Five thirty-nine. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Jesus is speaking, of course. And now, Miss Lenny, all the way from Jamaica. Happy Sabbath. Wonder how you can still put up with me.
Good morning. If you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. At the very beginning of that chapter, it says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees came in testing him asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. These are the leaders. They come in and they're asking for a sign. If you back up into the chapter before, shows the feeding of 4,000 people. You know, how many signs did they need? But as we take and we look in, in chapter 16, it says in verse 6, it says, excuse me, <clears throat> Jesus is, is um, talking to his disciples. And it says, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now they're thinking to themselves, oh, we forgot bread. Jesus knows that. That's why he's telling us this. And in verse 10, he says, well, let's do 9. He says, do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves and the 5,000, how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? It says, and then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, if you look at what the Pharisees and Sadducees did during a lot of their 
lot of the writings here, they were going around, they were, they were really causing trouble. You know, they're asking for signs. Jesus, how many signs did Jesus give them? Every day, they saw signs. And the very signs that he gave are the ones that re made them reject him. Where people that were really looking were converted because of it. They were looking for excuses. It says here that, it came, that they came that they might test him. They wanted to get rid of this guy. He's drawn way too many people away from us. We can't control people anymore. I've got a question to ask, and you don't have to answer them. Just think about them. Has anybody here ever, be, ever been beaten up by this book? Or somebody wielding this book. Those people can quote scripture so fast that it will make your head spin. They can tell you what you should and shouldn't do. Point out all these little things and condemn you so fast. He said make your head spin. When they did it, did that method work? Did it help you out? Now I want to ask this question a little bit differently. Has anyone here ever wielded this Bible and beat anyone up? Have you been able to quote scripture so fast it will make everyone's head spin? Tell them exactly what they should and shouldn't do? And again, I ask the question, did that method work? Did it help the situation out at all? Tell you a little story. Once upon a time, long, long time ago, in a land far, far away, in a church far, far away from here, church that we were involved with, there was a man that came to church. And he, I swear, had a a 100-pound Bible that he could beat people with. And he did it really fast, and he would have people in tears. It got to the point that you'd drive, into the, drive in and you'd see his car and you wanted to drive away. And it got to the point, and he wasn't even a member. But he was there to straighten everybody out. You know, if we practice what we preach, we'd be better off. I knew a little bit about the man, and his words didn't go along with his actions. And it got so bad 
that we had to ask him not to show up there anymore. You know, that's a hard job to do. But the damage was so great. Oh, he could quote scripture, not normally in context. And he could take and put people in their place so fast. But instead of helping, there was a lot of damaged people because of it. Now let's turn to, to John chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 31. And it says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me. I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet, I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. You know, this is kind of answering the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew. It says, what's the sign? Give us a sign from heaven. And Jesus is telling them that the Father who sent him is bearing witness, that John bore witness of him. These are the signs that they needed to hear. And he says that, you know, the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. When did, you, when did the Father testify of Jesus? His baptism. Verbally. Audibly. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. But every time Jesus did a miracle in the Father's name, the Father testified that Jesus was sent. All the miracles. So when they asked for a sign, they really didn't want to, want to believe the sign. They were testing Jesus. What? Trying to trip him up. And the Father himself who sent, sent me, he has testified me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you, think you have eternal life and these are that which testify of me. 
but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men. Let's stop there. You know, he says here, he says, you search, search the scriptures thinking that you're going to have eternal life. You can quote them, quote them forwards, backwards, so fast will make everyone's head spin. You can put everyone in their place. He says, you think just because you search them and you, you can do this, you're going to have eternal life. He says, but these are the things that testify of me. All these things that you're reading testify to who I am. And he says, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. So what's really missing here? If we can quote these scriptures... We know them forwards and backwards. Is that going to save us? What's missing? Jesus. A relationship with Jesus. That's what's missing. It's all about a relationship with the Father. And with the son that he sent. Let's turn to John chapter 10. This is one of my, it's probably my most favorite chapter in scripture. The Lord took me through a, a study of this chapter. And it took how many verses are here? Well, up to about third, verse 30. And it probably took about two months that the Lord took me through this chapter. And what's kind of neat is you take and you read this in the morning, and then you go out and do chores with sheep. And the Lord shows you how things work. This is a working relationship with a shepherd and a sheep, but it's a, it's a story about how our shepherd and how we act like sheep. And when you have that, as you study this day after day after day, and then walk out and the Lord shows you it in full color right there in front of you, it sinks in a little bit better. Some of us are slower learners, and it took me a while. But, you know, it's so neat. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he brings out his sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. 
Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. You know, there's been a couple times that I needed to get in where the sheep were, and like, you have to go through our, where we milk our goats and stuff to get into the sheep, into the sheep barn and into the sheep pen. And Kathy will be in milking and the door's locked or something and, and I need to hurry up and get in and I'll climb up over the fence. Well, when they see something coming over the fence, the sheep bolt to the other side. They run away. You know, when you come in through the door, it's a different thing. They're expecting you to come in through the door. You know, and, and you know, it says other people, they don't know. We have a granddaughter, and I don't know if I've used this illustration here before, but we have a granddaughter who's, she turned seven today. And, you know, some people say she's wired with 220, but it's really like 440 she's, she's, she's wired with. There is two speeds, either full out, wild screaming, or sleeping. You know, those are the things. And when she comes up to do chores with me, or with Kathy, The sheep won't eat because they're so scared. They, the goats won't eat. The goats are just, you know, Kathy will be trying to milk and the goats are dancing in the milk stand because they don't know her. Or maybe they do know her and they, they're afraid of her. <laughs> but, you know, it's, that's how it is. They're running away. You know, I was... Oh, a couple months ago, I was I was doing chores, and she decided I had started doing chores, and I, and I, I feed from the outside of the fence. I've got these I got these grain feeders that hang on the fence, so instead of getting in, trampled with when you get a grain bucket, it's easier to stand on the outside, reach over and dump the grain in. Well, I was out behind the barn doing that, and she decided that she needed to find me, and she went into the barn, into the, um, in where the sheep were, and what I would do, I would feed, and then I'd go and open the gate up so they could get out and eat, so I didn't have to worry about it at all. So I'm out there, and I'm dumping, I'm dumping grain in the grain troughs, and all of a sudden, these sheep are just like flying over to where I was. Well, they had jumped over the gate because she had gone in, and I'm hearing her inside the barn hollering, Papa, where are you? Papa! You know, and the sheep are flying over the gate. And, you know, he says here that those that climb in another way are nothing but a, a thief and a robber. You know, he says, others have come before me, but they haven't done what they're supposed to do. They aren't the shepherd. What's the difference between a thief and a robber? A thief is someone who just steals something. You break in and steal something. A robber is someone that takes it by force. Has a weapon, holds you, you know, stick them up type thing. Takes it by force. And Jesus is telling us that, you know, the ones 
that have come before him, and, and there's going to be other ones that come after him also, that are thieves and robbers. And what are they trying to steal? Our souls, our salvation. And he says, that's what's happening here. He takes, they take away your joy and your peace. You know, what did, wasn't it Paul that wrote, wrote the kingdom of God? He's they're trying to take the kingdom of God away from us. And he says that the kingdom of God isn't food and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what they're trying to take away is our righteousness, our peace, and our joy in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what the scribes and Pharisees were doing? And he was saying, beware of the leaven. Because what they do is they take away your righteousness, your peace. That peace is your peace with God. That Jesus reconciled us to the Father. He gave us peace. And to have joy in the Holy Spirit. The joy that the Holy Spirit has come into us. He's given, he gave us the Holy Spirit as a gift to bring us to him and to have that relationship. He says, but the sheep, the true sheep, know the voice of the shepherd. You know, I've got a couple of sheep there that we raised, that have been raised there from lambs. And there's, there's one, if I speak to her, she will take her, she'll walk and she'll follow me. She wants to have her chin scratched. You know, she'll just come over and stand up, stand and lean up against me. If other people are around, she, she doesn't necessarily do that. But she likes the companionship of coming over and wanting to be made of. And isn't that what this Jesus does for us? Isn't that the companionship that he wants with us? for us to come over and lean up against him, to be fed by him, taken care of by him. Sheep need a shepherd. They just do. They need to take care of him. You know, this time of year, or a little bit earlier, you know, they need the wool taken off from them. You know, because otherwise they're going to overheat. You know, they need to have the parasites taken care of. And the shepherd does that for them. He feeds them. He takes care of them. There's a relationship between the two. And that's what this is about. That relationship. It's not just about the words written here. It's when we put those words into practice because we have a relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, these words are just words. If we turn from here and we go over to, the, to John 15... Now, if I had a little tree standing up here in a pot, 
Or let's do it as this, this says, a grapevine. And it's got little grapes on it, on one of the branches. And I just pull out my knife, and I walk over, and I cut that branch off and throw it on the ground. What's going to happen to those grapes? They're going to shrivel. Why? I mean, they're already forming grapes. They aren't going to live because they're not connected to the vital nutrients that it needs. You know, in John 15, it says, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser, what a vine dresser does, he prunes it to, so it will bear more fruit, it will bear better quality fruit. The vine dresser also deals with the pests. He trains the vine so it goes in a certain way so it can get the full amount of sun that it needs. It's going to get the moisture that it needs. It's going to get the sunlight that it needs. It's going to get the air that it needs. And the vine dresser does that. And Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Have you ever felt like you're getting pruned? It's not a thing that is always the most comfortable. But it's for our good. It says, you are already clean because of the word which, which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what, what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciple. Abiding being so closely attached to get the nutrients that you need to live. It's all about the relationship. And if you see in these things, he says that these words that are written here testify of him. So when we use the words properly, we use them because we are abiding in Christ. We don't use them as a weapon. We don't use them to beat other people down. If you're a shepherd and you bring other sheep in, you don't beat them into submission. You win them with love. If you're a vine dresser and you want to take and get 
something else attached to that vine, you graft it. You graft it in so it takes it attaches to the to the vine so it gets the nutrients. Again, you don't get that by beating it. It's with care, tender care, that you take care of the young grafted stock. Let's go back to John chapter 5. says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are the, these which testify of me. He says, the only way that you will have eternal life is if you look at it as the things that testify as him. And those things talk about a relationship about abiding in the vine, about submitting to the good shepherd and building a relationship. They search the scriptures thinking that you'll find life, or we think we do. But the thing that's missing is that relationship. If we don't have the relationship we aren't going to have that life. Because all of those words testify of Jesus. We don't need to be asking for signs. We don't have to be filled with the leaven of of the scribes and Pharisees, or the the Pharisees and Sadducees. What we need to be is connected to Jesus. If we're not connected and we aren't hearing, what good is it? You know, there's a... Excuse me. I believe it's from the the New Living Translation. And it says, if I speak with human eloquence in angelic ecstasy, but don't have love. I am nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I, if I have faith that I can say to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love. I've got nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I am bankrupt without love. That love only comes from God. That love only comes by being connected to God. You know, it says that God is love. Can we say like the mathematical equation, if 
God is love, then love is God, right? So let's read that again. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't have God, I am nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, if I have faith that I can say to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't have God, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't have God, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I am bankrupt without God. All of this is about a relationship with a God who loves you, the God who loves me. And all he is asking for is for us to come to him, to abide in him, and to have a relationship with him. Do we hear the shepherd's voice calling that we will abide with him? Our closing song today is Jesus Loves Me, and it is page 190.
bow our heads for the benediction. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and he may work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.